So Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. I implore Euodia and I implore Suntuki to be of the same mind in the Lord. And I urge you also, true companions, help these women who labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and the rest of my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your gentleness be known to all men. The Lord is at hand. Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just, whatever things are pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy, meditate on these things. The things which you learned and received and heard and saw in me, these do, and the God of peace will be with you. And as the grass fades and the uh, grass withers and the flower fades, God's word indeed abides forever. May he bless it. I was uh, just sharing with the elders that uh, this particular message was born out of desperation. Um, not in the sense that you might think uh, I was between series and knowing that I would be away from my congregation this week and next week, I wanted, uh, was searching for a text to, to just sort of supplement. And it, it hit me in a powerful and humbling way. And I'm not always personal, but it, it bears in this message. And Tuesday morning in my study, I, I suddenly had a panic attack. Have you ever had that? A time when you are sitting and suddenly you are just overwhelmed by circumstances that are before you and you just feel like you're going to to faint. And and you, you can't see through the circumstances and understand what's going to come of it. And what brought it on, of all things, is the fact that we need a new location within two months. And there's nothing. <laughs> and, and, and I'm, I'm sitting there fretting over something so, so earthly. And, and it was one of those times where you actually had to put into practice these words that are before us and begin to think on the Lord and to begin to realize that there are still the good things of God's graces and mercies that meet us so that it would be that the peace of God would come in and guard the heart and mind. When you look at this text, there are two seemingly impossible commands that meet us in in verse 4 and in verse 6, where he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Be anxious for nothing. I don't know about you, but rejoicing in the Lord isn't hard, is it? 
it's, it's not hard to, to find things to praise God about. Nor is it hard to try and be worry-free in situations. What makes those two commands, and they are commands, they meet us as things that God says, I command you, this is an imperative, rejoice in me. Don't be anxious. And, And what makes those two commands hard are those qualifying words, always. And for nothing. That's demanding, isn't it? Who here is sufficient for that? We look and we search our hearts and we say, God, that, that's impossible. But like all of God's imperatives, it does seem impossible to us. But what did the Lord say? What is impossible for man is not impossible for God. And that's where this text brings us to take us away from our own insufficiencies and bring us to that place where we are resting in the Lord Jesus in a real and mighty way. When we consider how our lives are filled with so much trouble, as Job says, you know, as sure as sparks fly upward. Kids love it when you throw that dried up uh, spruce branch onto the fire because all that, that uh, cackling of the fire and the sparks, they just sail up into the air. And in Job we hear, as soon as those sparks fly upwards, yes, uh, man is born to trouble. Our lives are hard in this world. You consider the conflicts even within the church, and there'll be a little bit more of that in the, uh, the next message, but he's dealing with that, and, and it's intense. I do believe that verse 4 is reflective. Take joy, rejoice in the Lord, even though you have this huge conflict going on in your midst. That's hard, isn't it? <laughs> or the grave trials that meet us in our life, Trials of health, you hear those words, you have cancer. Finances, through no fault. I mean, how many people in the last two years have seen their business and their livelihood and their bank accounts disappear? Rejoice and do not be anxious for anything. Family and marital issues are big, aren't they? We've, we've been there. I, I'm not saying anything that is, is outside of the purview of any church of the Lord Jesus. We're not looking at the world and seeing all those troubles that exist outside of us. We're realizing these are things that are real to us with inside the congregation. The issues of death and you know how that has hit you, even, even just recently and within the last couple of days again. And we hear these words meeting us. Persecution. Let alone the heart that is often in that place of being a chronic worrier. You know those people too. <laughs> They're also hard to be around, aren't they? <laughs> 
let alone trying to help. And to rejoice always and to be anxious for nothing is to us impossible. And, and that's where God in his wisdom brings us to this place of, of showing us how our minds are to be guarded so that this can be a reality for us. I do want to say what Paul isn't saying when he says, uh, you know, be anxious for nothing in particular. He's not saying don't be concerned over circumstances or people. Yes, be concerned. <laughs> Have that, that compassion for things that are going on. Uh, he isn't uh, saying that grief and sorrow are wrong. <laughs> he grieved. He, he felt the weight and the sorrow of a city that would reject him. You read the end of Matthew 23 and you can't help but see the heart of Jesus for the sinfulness of Jerusalem that would reject him. And he just, he just says, you know, all that I would gather you, the unwillingness of your heart. Burdens, regrets. I mean, all of those things have their place and they're not sinful. What is being confronted with these words, in verse 4 and verse 6, they do go together, but what is being confronted with these words when he says, rejoice in the Lord always, be anxious for nothing, he is confronting that despairing, depressive, downcast spirit that breeds a joyless, hopeless, consuming anxiety where joy and peace in the Lord all but disappear. How many of us have been there? No, don't raise your hands. But we felt that. It's hard. When Jesus was confronted with this in his ministry. We, we know the Lord experienced it in his own soul. Uh, Psalm 42, that is about Christ. And he had to say that, he had to pray that for himself. My soul, why are you downcast? Hope in the Lord. <laughs> Those were his words. He owned them. And he also had to come to the crowd in uh, Matthew 6 and says, don't worry about what you're going to wear and what you're going to eat and what house is going to be over your head. The Father knows you need them. <laughs> Seek my kingdom, my righteousness. It'll be given to you. What, a, what an open promise. But a promise that's hard to own in the midst of trial. And he met it in life when he was sailing across the Sea of Galilee and he was up in the front of the boat, uh, sleeping, of all things, sleeping. And uh, the wave and the storm came and met him and was going to overflow the boat. What did his disciples, out of fear, out of fear, come and say to him? Uh, Mark 4.38 Lord, do you not care that we are dying? Or in Luke 10.40, poor Martha, 
She gets tagged for this, but her heart was very troubled. Very troubled about the cares and concerns of even just feeding and caring for everyone who had come into her house. And she said the same thing. Lord, do you not care? Or when Mary and Martha in a time of great, great grief in John 11, both of them came to the Lord at different times. And they said basically something similar. Lord, if you had only been here, you wouldn't have died. Do you see what happened in every one of those circumstances? It confronts us. It meets us as believers. But in every one of those circumstances, what happened is their spirit failed and their faith went with it, didn't it? Because in every one of those circumstances, what did Jesus respond to them? He responded to his disciples. Oh, you of little faith. How is it that you have no faith? Do you think, even though I'm sleeping because of physical exhaustion, that my presence here isn't to be a comfort to you in the midst of this storm? We lose sight, don't we? Or he said to, to uh, Martha, as, as, she, as she was dealing with the grief of Lazarus' death, do you believe? Do you believe that I am the resurrection and the life? That he hasn't really died, but he lives forever. And here, I do believe the Lord was, was in every circumstance teaching them the reality of Psalm 42. Uh, perhaps uh, we should have sung that today, but uh, hope in God. Praise Him. The help of His countenance will come and, and lift up your soul so that even in those troubling moments, you can rejoice in your God. Because he is with you. And the promises of God are to become a reality in our lives in those, in those times. This is the difficulty with anxiety, with, with what Paul is dealing here with, that, that anxiousness, that, that fear and trepidation of the what-ifs that we have absolutely no control over, but we want to control them. We want to control the outcome, but we can't. And the anxieties build up within us. That, that's the world. And the world is trapped in that kind of anxiety. I think it's best summed up in, in an old uh, secular song, but most of you, I'm sure you know it. It's by Journey. Came out in 81, 1981. Don't Stop Believing. We know it, don't we? The tune's going in our heads. Have you ever looked at the lyrics of that song? It's catchy, but it has nothing to it. 
It's a song that begins with everybody looking for love and meaning in life. And it's, it's, if, pardon the expression, a hellhole. And he says, but don't stop believing. And, and that's all they've got. You know, he gets to that point where he says, and it goes on and on and on, but don't stop believing. Well, I think those, that, that phrase means something to us in whom we are believing in. But it's not hopelessness for us because we have substance to where our faith is. It's in a person. It's in a reality of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. But the world doesn't have that. And what goes on and on and on for them is that hopeless and helpless struggle of life without God. Yes, they should be anxious. Because they have nothing that will carry them on in life when everything collapses, and it will collapse. But we are not without God. What does Paul say between rejoice in the Lord always and be anxious for nothing? He says, let your gentleness be known to all men. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. Emmanuel. That's the dearest thing we have to hold on in respect of that covenant of grace. The Lord God Almighty is with us. And it's amazing that he is with us. And it's not just that this is therapy for the soul. (laughs) The world loves therapy for their problems. It helps them to blame all their issues on something else and someone else and and never to really look at themselves to know and see who they are before God. But Christians, this, this isn't about therapy. This is about God saying, I am your God. I am with you. And we heard it from Isaiah 26. How are our minds kept in perfect peace? You might say they're kept in perfect peace when we make our rest upon the Lord, but that's not what Isaiah 26 says, and that's not what Paul is saying here. No, your minds are kept in perfect peace by God. (laughs) And the blessing that he gives to you when you rest in Christ. And that's the promises that are meeting us in here. And that's where we see in verses 6 and 7 how this command meets us. Be anxious for nothing. This is going to be hard to accept. But we can never justify our anxiety. We can exercise it. We can talk about it. But you can't justify it as a Christian. Even in the weightiness of trials and and our needs and our conflicts and our griefs, anxiety comes in as an antithesis to the peace that is to settle upon our souls. And that's why Paul says, be anxious for nothing. God says it to us. And you're saying there, Well, it's easy to say, but how do we do that? (laughs) It is so simple. 
And this is where your minds need to be stayed. You first of all pray with thanksgiving. You begin there. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving. Pray with thanksgiving. Prayer is a means of grace. That means prayer is a means by which God pours out His goodness and kindness, His mercies and His loving grace upon us in times of great need. But, but we, we forget. We are prone to forget what we have received from God. When we don't pray with thanksgiving, we still deal with that ingratitude of our hearts rises. It's it's always there wanting to come out. And and parents, we know, we see that in our homes, don't we? It's so easy for, for someone to be ungrateful. Or we are prone to think that somehow God is wronging us. And, and, and anger comes and begins to fill our emotions. We, we've been there. Or that we think we deserve better. Like Elijah. God, I served you so well on Mount Carmel. And now a woman is threatening my life. I want to... I want to stop. I want to die. Just end my time here on earth and bring me out. I don't deserve this. That's pride. I saw a meme come across my Facebook page. Anyone who comes into our home knows that I love dad jokes and, and, and that. But this meme came across, and, and it was a, a long sheet of paper. It was about this long for emphasis. Uh, you could tell by the picture. So a long sheet of paper. Put that in, in your minds, children. Long sheet of paper. Across the top it said, this is what you deserve. And the sheet of paper was empty. <laughs> but the emphasis being it was a long sheet of paper. You can come up with a long list of what you think you deserve, but what do you deserve? We know Christians better than anyone we deserve. Nothing, but amazingly, by God's grace, we have food and shelter, friends and family, church, and above all, salvation. Isn't that amazing? There's an old hymn, and forgive me, I've got a couple hymns I'm going to be bringing to you this morning. Uh, But how many of you have heard, count your blessings? Name them one by one. Count your many blessings. See what God has done. What first came into your minds? I like to challenge people with this. You you know Psalm 103. When the psalmist there was going to count his blessings, and he starts out, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. And where does he go? Does he go to his house? Does he go to his family? Does he go to earthly things? No. What's the first thing he says? Who forgives all my sins? who redeems me from death. 
who heals me from all our diseases. And in this earthly life, doesn't mean necessarily physical healing, but the healing of your soul and who holds me for everlasting life. When Paul here is saying, with thanksgiving, he is really and truly looking in that direction. Do you realize God has redeemed you from death? Delivered you from all your sins. Doesn't that cause great joy within your hearts to say to God, Bless the Lord, O my soul. And that work that He has done, God is the one who has led you to salvation. God is the one who has given you His Holy Spirit. God is the one who has delivered up His Son for you in your place that you should receive from Him the eternal blessings that lead to everlasting life in His presence forever and ever. That's the first step. Pray with thanksgiving. And then, the second, let your requests be made known to God. With prayers and supplications, come and let God know your circumstances. You, as a congregation who sings the Psalms, you know how many of the Psalms just begin with that plight of of danger or or that plight of suffering and and trouble and he just he just begins god help me <laughs> you know that's that's the making known of the requests before god it's not just simply okay god you know my life uh, come and do what's good please and and ending it it is a time of particular communion with God where you are saying, it is hard. God, help me. Come and be my aid. Come and be the one who lifts up the head of this poor servant that lift me up out of the muck and mire of my sins and my troubles and my enemies. And, and, and Lord, put me on that rock that is Christ that I can see beyond my circumstances because I really can't lift my head up right now. And what's marvelous about this when he says, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. He is saying, dear children of God, do you realize what an open way you have to the Father? Do you realize that? You think about it. Children, where is Jesus right now? Where is he? He's in heaven, isn't he? Do you know where Jesus is seated right now? He's at the right hand of the Father. Do you know the name of the throne that he's sitting on? <laughs> What's it called? The throne of? 
race. That's where Jesus is. Sitting on a throne of grace. And what is grace? Grace, I I know of no better definition. Grace is the undeserved loving kindness of a holy God to an unworthy sinner. And he's sitting there and he's the one who says, come to me. what the Hebrew writer said, and you know the verses very well, Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. We have a great high priest who's passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, and so let us hold fast our confession. And what is our confession? We believe he is our Savior, our God, and the one who will carry us in this life into eternal glory. That's our confession. We don't have a high priest who can't sympathize with our weaknesses. He knows what your life is like in this world. He lived 33 years in this world as the sinless son of God. And in his humanity, he knows the evil of this world that is heaped upon people. And he knows the sinfulness of this world that you will encounter. And he knows what is in our own hearts. He knows it. And knowing all of this, he has gone to that place in heaven at the right hand of the Father on that throne of grace so that we can come boldly to that throne and obtain mercy and help in our need. (laughs) And oh, what it is to cry out to God, God, help me. You know, the amazing thing is not only do we have that intercessor in heaven, why Paul is so bold to say, let your request be made known to God. Don't withhold. Is that we also have an intercessor within our very heart. And the Holy Spirit. Because I don't know about you, but oftentimes when I'm in those anxious moments, praying is the hardest thing to do, isn't it? And what to pray for when you... I mean, think about Texas right now. How do you pray for all of those families? You get... Honestly, we were at at Banner a couple times. We were on our knees and I'm just thinking, God, I don't know what to say. God, help them. Be a strength to them. It's like I I hear some people sometimes say, uh, I don't like going to the hospital to visit people because I don't know what to say to them. It's hard. But what do we hear from Romans 8 about that intercessor who is in our hearts? The Holy Spirit. He intercedes for us with words that we cannot utter. Simply laying ourselves before God and saying, God, I feel like a flood has just washed over me. Help me. Even those simple prayers, help me. Even those small prayers, help me. That's faith in action. 
And what did Jesus say about our faith? See, that's the neat thing is even when you are exercising that faith, as small as it may be in those moments, what does Jesus say about small faith? (laughs) It can still move mountains. Because we're not really moving those mountains. The Lord himself is the one who comes and meets us in that time and says, I will move them for you. And then what's the promise? And the peace of God that surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And you see, that's what we need. We need in those moments for our minds to be guarded that we do not cast off God. Because the tempter will come to you in those moments and say, see, he hasn't answered your prayers yet. He hasn't done what you asked for. Your prayers are are not reaching the ear of God. The tempter comes. Satan, Satan will come in those ways. And they're powerful ways. In a moment when your heart is weakest before God. But in this kind of prayer, God's promise is, I will bring my peace to guard your mind. And what is that peace of God? Again, it brings us right back to Christ. It brings us right back to the cross. It's like Paul said in in Romans 5, verse 1, again, a verse I'm sure many of you know. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's taking us right back to the cross, and God is saying to, to us and speaking to us and to our minds, His Spirit is actively saying to you, Do you not know how much the Father has loved you in sending his Son to be delivered up in your place so that you could be forgiven all your sins and so that you could be reconciled to God? (laughs) Isn't that amazing? I I think, my dear friends, as Christians, we, we can kind of presume the grandeur of what it means to be reconciled with God. That the Father has, through His Son, accepted us. And as I said in the, in the prayer, He no longer calls us sinners. We do. I can look in the mirror and say, oh, you wretched man, look what you've done. Do you know the two favorite words God has for you who are in Jesus Christ? My righteous ones. Saints. You you see, we've been so reconciled to God that it's so justified by Christ that we are now counted His beloved children in this manner. 
We have fellowship with the holy God of heaven. And it is that peace of God that Jesus established, Paul said in Ephesians 2. He himself is our peace. And this is the peace that God brings to to begin to guard your mind that you do not fall into that pit of despair and say, God has forsaken me. I am undone. It reminds you again of that, that faithful, enduring promise. I will never leave you or forsake you. Emmanuel. That's the Spirit's work. And, and he says about, about this peace, it surpasses all understanding. And this is why we're going to sing Psalm 23 at the close. But how does it do that? It's because the Spirit says, you know what Christ has done for you. You know that Christ has reconciled you to God. You know that God is working everything for what? For good. You can't see that good yet. But you know, God does not lie. You know there is nothing that will separate you from the Father's love in Christ. You know that the Lord is with you even in the shadow of death. You know that His mercy and His grace will follow you all the days of your life so that what? You will be in His house forever. See, there's the peace that passes all understanding. The knowledge of God and His goodness. But my friends, we, we know these things only and if we can say, the Lord is my shepherd. And it comes back to Christ. Do you believe in Him? Are you resting in Him? Do you trust that because He is your shepherd, you will never lack anything? Because He's your shepherd, you do not fear even if it's in the valley of the shadow of death. Because because why? I am with you. Isn't that? I hope your hearts are saying amen. (laughs) Really. And it's here where that peace comes and guards your heart and mind from wild accusations and ungodly emotions and and wrong imaginations, which we so need in those times. And this is the work of God's grace. Now, time is is upon us, but even more when you get down to verses 8 and 9, there's more to it. But where your mind begins to meditate on those eight virtues that are known, uh, listed there on what is true and noble, just and pure and lovely of good report, virtuous and praiseworthy. Take account of those things. And again, look at the promise that meets you in verse 9. It's not just that the peace of God is going to guard you, but it comes back to this Emmanuel principle again, that the God of peace... <laughs> will be with you. 
The one who has made peace between you and him is the one who will be with you to carry you through everything. I can close with this illustration. And just to give you an understanding of this, at one time uh, we were looking after our grandchildren for the summer and we had taken them to a swim park. Uh, they had uh, swimming lessons going on and, and our granddaughter was up, you know, climbing up the ladder to go and jump off the diving board. She was only about six, I think, at the time. Uh, frightening for a grandparent to watch, but she nonetheless did it. But as she was going up, she slipped and she hit her shin on the step and she almost slipped under and went through it, but she, she just fell backwards and was in such pain. And I went over to get her and was holding her. She said, Papa, it hurts. It hurts. It hurts. And all I could do was hold her and say, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. And I was thinking, how often, we don't always think of it, but how often the Father does that for us. He does. Because Christ has gathered us under the shadow of his wings. We have communion with him in Christ. It can never, ever be broken. And the Father lovingly embraces us. The God of peace is with us. You know these things. They're, they're real and they're important because after today, we will step back into the world tomorrow. And we need to know these things in our hearts. Believe in Christ. And these things will be real to you.